Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, we are swimming in the waters of blessedness. In a moment, we will have the opportunity to bless literal water and sing our way through officially welcoming Andy into the household of God. We are also observing the Feast of All Saints, which is immediately followed by All Souls, both opportunities to recognize all in the church and in our lives who have blessed us with their witness and their presence. But it is Jesus' words from Matthew's gospel that form the container that help us to grasp what all of this means. What we have come to know as the Beatitudes is Jesus' most famous and often quoted sermon. So let me start by saying it's important to make a distinction between what is and is not happening in this text. Jesus, just like Moses before him, goes up a mountain to share the most important teaching of his ministry. For Moses, the Ten Commandments come once the Israelites have been delivered from exile. The commandments effectively seal the covenant between God and God's people. The next stage of living into the relationship with God, which has been indisputably blessed. Moses effectively delivers a way in which the Israelites are to order their lives, knowing there's nothing they need to earn, rather giving shape to what it looks like to live with confidence that they have been blessed by God. Similarly, Jesus' words are not a set of instructions, as is often suggested. The Beatitudes are indicative of the ways in which Jesus encountered humanity. At no point in time does Jesus suggest that we make haste in finding a way to be forced to mourn, to experience hunger, or be persecuted. Nor is Jesus suggesting that those who experience these things are more deserving of God's blessing than those who are not. Rather, Jesus is naming that persecution is a part of the human condition that is not beyond the limits of God's blessings. Furthermore, earning and receiving God's blessings has never been and will never be the point. Rather, moving through life knowing that God names us as blessed at our baptism is the whole point. The question the Beatitudes pose is how will we respond to this blessedness? To take us a step further, I want to share with you this morning an excerpt from a sermon that is longer than that which I normally quote because it bears worth repeating. In it, the Reverend Dr. Sam Wells gives shape to the nature of the Beatitudes in a way that has completely transformed my understanding of what this text means. He suggests that the Beatitudes is the most succinct version we have of Jesus's autobiography. It is the full scope of his journey between the cross and the resurrection. Reverend Wells puts it in these terms. 
Every beatitude comes in three parts. There's the first part, which is really a description of the cross. It is poor. It is thirsty. It is meek. It is merciful. It is persecuted. Then there's the last part, which is the description of resurrection. Each beatitude has a resurrection promise. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will receive mercy. They will be called children of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The beatitudes are a description of Jesus in his cross and in his resurrection. To be a Christian is to live in Jesus's cross and his resurrection. But wait, between the cross and the resurrection lies a comma. Every beatitude has a comma in the middle, and that comma is a kind of valley between the horror of the cross and the wonder of the resurrection. I want you to think about that comma for a moment. That pause, that place where the cross and the resurrection meet. That comma is your life as a Christian. To be a Christian is to dwell in that comma that lies between the first and the second half of each beatitude. That comma is your home on earth. That comma represents the pathos of the joy of the Christian life. That comma is where you find Jesus. What does it look like to be a Christian? Jesus is saying, the people who know are those who are closest to my cross. The closer you get to my cross the closer you get to resurrection. If you're one of those people, happy are you. If you're not one of those people, start hanging around with those who are. That is what it means to dwell in the comma. Jesus is the place where the cross and resurrection meet, and so are you. It's time to stop limiting ourselves to just one-third of the gospel. It's time to live the whole thing. It's time to dwell in the comma where the cross meets the resurrection. That is where we meet Jesus. That is what Christianity is. This is where to find it, and this is how to live it. This is blessedness. And that's the end of the excerpt from Sam Wells. I think his interpretation is really helpful for several reasons. The first is that it gives shape to the reality that the Christian life will involve both crucifixion and resurrection. The two cannot be disentangled. In naming this, we are given permission to put aside our fears and our unrealistic expectations that there is anything we need to accomplish or achieve. We're not doing something wrong if life doesn't always feel resolved. We can expect to encounter all that comes with the harsh reality of crucifixion. And knowing that resurrection follows crucifixion, we can move towards the people and the moments in life that are messy, painful, and unresolved. Now, I don't mean this as an invitation to artificially seek out the dark corners of the world because you are lucky enough not to be suffering at any given moment. People can smell your insincerity a mile away. What I think Jesus intends is an invitation for us to be fearlessly present 
and the places and relationships in our lives where suffering is a reality. We cannot, nor should we try, to resolve all manner of suffering experienced by those around us or in the world. But we can be a faithful companion, as Jesus was throughout his ministry. Baptism is the point in time when we are commissioned for a life that takes this cruciform shape. It is a liturgical event that we constantly return to as a reminder and a recommissioning of sorts because it is the moment when we are named as blessed. The extraordinary thing about what we will do in just a moment is that all who are gathered both those who know Andy and his moms quite well, and those who know them only by name, are making an identical vow. We have no crystal ball to see through to the peaks and valleys that await Andy in his long life. And yet we are making a vow to support him in his life in Christ. We are making a commitment to be with him through all that feels like crucifixion as well as the resurrection moments. We are making a commitment to be with Andy, which is the life of a Christian, and the gift of living in community, being with one another. This is one of the primary ways in which we remember that we are blessed. And in a society and a time where loneliness has more detrimental effects on our population than almost any other physical or emotional condition, This matters. (coughs) To be blessed is to acknowledge that God has always been and will always be a part of our lives eternally. To be blessed is to take seriously our commitment to show up for one another as the incarnation of sharing this good news as often as we can. Amen.